The Torah says that the procedure of Egla Rufa takes place if a dead body is found, they found somebody who has been murdered, and it is unknown who hit him and who killed him. Then they would go through the whole process of Egla Rufa. And we learn from there that if even one person knows and testifies about the murder, and who the murderer was, then they would not go through the procedure of Egla Rufa. And this includes even somebody who is generally an invalid witness, for example, a woman. If they come and testify that they saw the murder take place and they know who did it, then that is enough that the posuk which talks about when it is unknown who killed the person, that would not apply, and therefore the procedure of Egla Rufa would not be gone through. What happens if one witness says, I saw the murderer, and I know who it is, but another witness says that you didn't see it. He claims that he was with that person the entire time when they saw the murder take place, and he says that we didn't see him murder him. Or if it's Isho Meris Raisi, if a woman who is generally an invalid witness, if she claims that she saw the murderer, the Isho Meris Lerois, and then a different woman says that you, you didn't see this, I was with you the entire time, and we didn't see the person kill that other person. In both of these cases, since there's one witness against another witness, and they are contradicting each other, so both of the testimonies become invalid. And therefore, it's as if none of them testified at all, and Hoyu Orphan, they would go through the procedure of Egla Rufa, just like any case where the dead person is found and nobody testifies about it. Now, we had a very similar-looking Mishnah in Perek Vov regarding the witnesses testifying about a woman having had relations and committed adultery. And we mentioned over there that the two testimonies cancel each other out only in a situation where the two witnesses come together. However, if a witness came and claimed that he saw the murderer and the basin accepted his testimony, and they said, you know what, we're not going to go through the procedure of Egla Rufa because of your testimony. And then, after the Basin said that, then a different witness came and said that really, they didn't see who the murderer was. In that case, they would still not go through the procedure of Egla Rufa, because the testimonies only cancel each other out if they are given in roughly the same time. But once the first witness is accepted, we consider it sort of as if two witnesses testified about it. Since in general, we always require two witnesses to testify about something, in this case where we accept even one witness, that's just because we view him as if he has two witnesses. So if his testimony was already accepted, and then somebody else comes and says the opposite, it's like one person coming against what two people say, and therefore the second witness would not be listened to. If one witness says that I saw the murderer, and two witnesses at the same time say that you didn't see it, they would go through the procedure of Egla Rufa, since the two go, they, they are stronger than the single witness. What happens if two people say that we saw the murderer, and one of them says that you didn't see it? So again, the two beat the one, and they would not go through the procedure of Egla Rufa. The truth is, these last two parts of the Mishnah are referring to people who are regularly invalid witnesses. In such a case, we follow the majority in deciding whether to go through the process of Egla Rufa or not. Mishnah test. Mishnah Rabbi Horatz Chonim wants the murderers increased and there were more cases of murder which took place. Bottle Egla Rufa, the mitzvah, the concept of Egla Rufa, was nullified and put to a stop. 
Reason being, as we mentioned in the previous Mishnah, an Eglar Rufa is only in a case where it is totally unknown who killed that person. But in a time of history, in a period of time where there were particular murderers who had many cases on their back, and if a person is found dead and they wouldn't know who did it, an assumption could be made that it was done by one of these murderers. So it's no longer included in the posuk of it's no longer really included in the when the Torah says that it's unknown who killed him. Here, there was an assumption that we sort of knew it was likely that somebody killed him, and we knew who killed him, and therefore they would not go through the procedure of Egla Arufa. Now, when exactly was this? Mishabot Elazar ben Dinai. When Elazar ben Dinai came, he was a famous murderer. Uschina ben Nikra, which we're going to translate to mean, and he was also called Tchina ben Parisha. It's talking about the same person. He would change his name so that people wouldn't necessarily know him, and he would be able to commit his murders. And Chazulik Christen ben Haratzchan, people went and started calling him the son of the murderer. Instead of ben Parisha, they called him this infamous murderer. So when that started, then the Eglarufa stopped. On a similar note, Mr. Rabbi Hamid Noafim, when the number of men committing adultery increased, and the men began being immoral, the bitter waters stopped, meaning they stopped going through the Saita process. As we learned towards the beginning of the Masechta, the Saita water would only bring about its consequences if the woman was guilty and her husband wasn't guilty. But if her husband, for example, had relations with her once she became a Saita, which was not allowed, or in our case where the husband himself was immoral, then the water would not actually bring about its consequences. So once indeed there were many immoral men, and the water stopped bringing about its effect, so the entire soda process was stopped, they no longer continued with it, Rabbi Yechim and Zakai Sikon, and Rabbi Yechim and Zakai stopped that process. Shinema, as the Pasuk says, he based it off this Pasuk, I won't exact judgment and bring punishment to your daughters when they commit adultery, when they are immoral, or on your daughters-in-law, when they commit adultery, because they, etc., the Pasuk continues to say that the men themselves are immoral. So when Rabbi Yechim and Zakai saw that we, they'd come to a place in history where that was indeed the case, he halted the process of Saita. Alright, next example of a similar idea. When Yosef ben Yezer, the man who lived in Tzreda, and Yosef ben Yechon from Yerushalayim, when they died, which literally means the clusters, as in clusters of grapes, Stopped. And what that means is Eshkel stands for Ishahakolboy, a man that everything is inside of him. Somebody who was complete in his Torah and his Midas and in all kinds of wisdom. And these were the last people who had this description, who could be described by it to be an Eshkel, Ishahakolboy. Shenema, as the Posuk says, a similar idea in Eshkel Echel Bekura Ivsonafshi. There is no cluster to eat of its first fruit, which my soul desires. The point is, we see from the context of those psukim over there, that eshkol, a cluster, can be used as a parable, as a way of describing a man, a person. And Yosemite Ezer and Yosemite Yechon were described by, by that moshal. The next few Ishnayas, and really until the end of the Masechta for the most part, continue with this theme, that when this particular thing stopped, 
then that brought an end to something. And before we get into lots of those examples, the Mishnah, this Mishnah tells us a number of things which Yochanan Kohen Gadol stopped or changed and enacted. Yochanan Kohen Gadol abolished and got rid of the confession of Maestras. When one would come to the Beis HaMikdosh and declare that he has separated all of the tithes and given them to their respective people who need to receive it, and one could only say the, the Vidya Maestras if he did, did indeed separate all of the tithes and give the tithes to those who deserve them. Now, after the first Beis was destroyed and the Jewish people went to Bovel, later Ezra Hanavi returned to Eretz Israel in order to rebuild the second Beis HaMikdosh. And when he went up, he brought many parts of the Jewish people up back to Eretz Israel. However, the Leviim didn't come. There were a few of them, but the vast majority of the Leviim stayed in Bovel. And as a sort of punishment, Ezra decreed that the Maeserishan, a tenth of one's produce, which is generally given to a Levi, would no longer be given to the Leviim. People should give it to the Kranim instead of the Leviim. Now, once that was the case, so one was no longer be able to say the part of the video Amaisus where he says that I've given to the Leviim what needs to be given to them. And therefore, Yoichlan Kohen Godol got rid of the video Amaisus and he said that we can no longer say it because of this enactment of Ezra. Afu Bittal Sam'irim, another thing that Yoichlan Kohen Godol stopped was the Ma'irin, which literally means those who would wake up, meaning wake something else up, someone else up. And this refers to a custom which they had in the Beit HaMikdash when the Levim would go and sing in the Beit HaMikdash. Before doing so, they would call out the Posuk in Tehillim, Uro Lomotishan Hashem. Wake up, why are you sleeping Hashem? And that Posuk in Tehillim is more referring to times where the Jewish people are going through a hard time, where Hashem's presence and help is more hard to see. It's more hidden, and it's as if in some way Hashem is, as it were, sleeping. Now, when there was a Beit HaMikdash, and the Jewish people weren't necessarily going through hard times, it wasn't appropriate to say this in the Beit HaMikdash day in, day out. And therefore, Yochanan Kangol got rid of that custom. Beit HaMikdash, and those who would knock, this is referring to a custom which they had in order to slaughter animals. It could sometimes be quite difficult, the animal might be moving about. So in the Beit HaMikdash, where they had to slaughter many, carbon- many animals for Karbonus, they would make a small cut in the animal's forehead, or slightly above, in between the two horns, and blood would go down into the animal's eyes, and it would become blind, and it would be difficult for it to move about, it wouldn't know what to do, and at that moment it would be easier to slaughter that animal. Now, Yochanan Kungal will stop this practice because it would appear as if they are giving a wound to the animal. Now, it's forbidden to bring a korban from an animal which has a mum, a particular wound or injury. Now, it's true that this small cut in the animal's forehead is not enough of a mum to invalidate the korban. However, in what people see, it does look like a significant enough wound to invalidate the korban. And therefore, he stopped this practice so that people wouldn't come to the wrong conclusion that it's permitted to bring a korban with a mum on it. Alright, next thing which he did, Ad Yomov, until his days, until Yechonin Kringol came onto the scene, Hoyapatish Makib Yerushalayim, the hammer would hit in Yerushalayim, meaning they would hear the hammer in Yerushalayim on Cholamoyed. Cholamoyed is essentially considered to be like Yom Tov, in that it's forbidden to do most forms of work. However, in cases of a large financial loss, or other various reasons, the prohibition to do work is lifted and it will be permitted. 
However, Yochanan can go instituted that in Yerushalayim will be forbidden for people to work in the marketplaces, etc. Even if it would lead to financial loss because the spirit of Yontav was reduced. If you can hear people working all day on Cholamoyed, so that very much goes against the spirit of Cholamoyed and Yontav and therefore it will be forbidden. And finally, Uva Yomov, in his days, meaning from Yechon Kangolo's days onwards, he instituted that A man does not need to ask about Demai. What exactly is Demai? Demai is produce which is brought from an Amhaaret, an ignorant person who is not trusted regarding tithes. Now, anything which one buys from an Amhaaret is therefore possibly untithed. Even if the Amhaaret says that he tithed it, we can't really trust him. However, it would emerge to be very expensive for somebody to buy things from an Amaretz. He would buy it, and then he'd have to separate all the tithes again himself. Whereas the Amaretz, who's claiming to have separated the tithes, would charge him as if he's going to be able to keep everything. So Yochanan Kangol instituted that one doesn't need to ask anymore whether the Amaretz separated tithes or not. Anyway, he's not trusted. Rather, when you buy the produce from him, it's Demai, and you need to separate all of the tithes. However, once you've separated them, you don't need to give them to the various people who would regularly receive it. So, for example, you would separate the Miseration, but then instead of giving the Miseration to the Levi, you could eat it yourself. You have to separate it in order that the mixture not be considered Tevel, which is produce which has not yet been tithed, and it's forbidden under a severe prohibition to eat Tevel. So you'd need to separate all, the t- all of the tithes in order to permit the entire mixture to be eaten. But once you've separated it, then you wouldn't need to give it to, let's say, the Levi, because there is a rule, one who wants to take something from somebody else must prove that he's entitled to it. So since there's a possibility that the Amhoretz did separate the tithes, it's a doubt, so the Levi cannot claim the tithes from this person who now has the produce and separated the tithes, because it could be that the Amhoretz originally did separate the Mises already. In which case, when this person separated the tithes, it's not even valid, because the tithes were already separated beforehand. And therefore, once he's separated the various tithes, he's actually able to eat them himself, and he does not need to give it to those who would regularly receive it, with the exception of Trumus Maisa. Trumus Maisa is one of the gifts given to the Klanim, and it's forbidden for a non-Kohen to eat it. Even if a Kohen gives them permission or something, it's forbidden. So there, it won't help for someone to just eat it themselves and not give it to a Kohen, because it could be that he's violating a prohibition of eating Trumus Maisa. But other than that, he would be able to keep and eat the rest of the tithes which he had separated. Mishnah Aleph, Mishnah Bottle Sanhedrin, once the Sanhedrin stopped and came to an end, once they stopped sitting in the Beis Hamikdash, Bottle Hashirim Beis Hamishta'is, song stopped in the feast houses, meaning when they would feast and have wine, and at weddings, etc. They no longer would sing in the same way as they had done before. Shanema, as the Pasuk says, Bashirish to Yoyin Vegomer, with song they won't drink wine. And the first explain we're talking about songs which are not talking about the praise of Hashem. Rather, it's talking about other things, relationships of people, but it's not talking about praising Hashem. So once the Sanhedrin was no longer there, it was prohibited to have songs in places of feasting and wine in case it would end up being inappropriate now that there's no, there was no Sanhedrin anymore to make sure that people would keep things appropriate. So such songs were totally banned once there was no longer a Sanhedrin.